Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey there, and welcome to the Dom Harvey Podcast, brought to you by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Gilda Kirkpatrick. Tehran is a city of 20 million. Big city. It's so huge, you know. The smell is everywhere, you know. It's the smell of death. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't forget things like that, you know. It was um, all these young, happy, hopeful people. You know, they come back in bits and pieces like minced meat. Do you have nightmares about it or anything? No. Yeah, Gilda Kirkpatrick. If you have ever watched reality TV, you may think you know Gilda from Real Housewives of New Zealand or her very short run on Dancing with the Stars. Or maybe you think you know her from the gossip pages, which generally label her a socialite or a gold digger. But there is so, so much more to Gilda Kirkpatrick than any of that. And this is part of her story. Gilda, as you have never heard her before, We talk about growing up in war-torn Iran before moving to New Zealand as a teenager and how these early years and the unimaginable things that she saw and experienced shaped her into the person she is today. We discuss her stance as a COVID anti-vaxxer, how her relationship developed with a man 40 years older than her and her thoughts on being labelled a gold digger. Then we discuss her appearances on reality TV, her thoughts on cosmetic surgery, what life looks like in one of Auckland's most recognisable mansions, and much, much more. Gilda is a breath of fresh air with a great perspective and outlook on life, and I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as what I did. Thank you so much to Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. Get amongst their incredible protein powder and smoothie recovery powders. I am obsessed with their banana-flavoured protein, but they now have an unflavoured protein powder in their range as well. So you can mix it into various recipes and it won't taste any difference. The reality is most of us could do with much more protein than what we're currently consuming and protein powder is the best way to get it. And nobody does this as well as Radix. Check them and their world-class products out at radixnutrition.co.nz. Radix is spelled R-A-D-I-X. Trust me, you won't regret it. I'm a big fan, and I'm sure you guys will be as well. Okay, let's get into the episode. Gilda Kirkpatrick on the Dom Harvey podcast. Enjoy. Gilda Kirkpatrick. Oh, I'll start again. I'm, you I'm all nervous. <laughs> Why are you nervous? You're the guy with the questions. <laughs> but you're intimidating. I find you intimidating. Oh, I don't know what have I ever done to you? No, nothing. Oh, you that fun? You, we, we, have, we have, and I love you, but you're very intelligent, and I find that um, like intimidating. Oh. Okay, here we go. Take two. Actually, I might leave that in. Gilda Kirkpatrick, hello. Welcome to my podcast. Hello, Dom. Thank Thanks you so much. for having me here. Now, you just told me before that you and your friend Louise, who's sitting here. Hi, Louise. 
You um, looked up some clips online on the way over, and that's the first you knew about the podcast. Oh, no, no. I've known about your podcast, but I just wasn't sure about it. I was like, oh, I wonder, like, like I better go and check if it's, like, in a two-setting people. It's a one-setting. And I was like, oh, my God, this is camera in your face <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so now I knew I just needed a refreshment. Right. You're worried about how you look. You look amazing. Everybody worries about how they look. Yeah, do that. As human beings. Yeah. Some are more verbal about it. Some are less verbal. But I think most human beings... Um, because of their consciousness, they are aware of how they look, and you know it's nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah, but you and I, you and I are the, the same age. Uh, we're both nineteen seventy three babies. We are both fifty. Look at me; I look like a sack of shit. And no, you don't. <laughs> Whatever, you are just fishing for a compliment. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming over. You're um. I, I, I wanted you on the podcast, and I thought you'd be a great guest because you're such an intriguing woman, and there's so much to your story, and there's uh, so 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 much about you that so many people have preconceived ideas about, and you don't need to meet you or have much to do with you to realize that there's a lot going on. Um, you're very smart. You know, I've always um, sort of had this thought or this um, approach that, you know, if you underestimate people, it is your loss. You know, if you think, oh, everybody's a stupid, it is your loss because then you there will come a time where you go face to face with somebody or people that you discounted mm. and you realize that everybody's got a certain level of intelligence and understanding and to discount that is, um, it, it doesn't take anything away from me. You know, it's just your own loss. Mm. And a lot of the things that I guess people say about you would be um, that you're a gold digger, sure. which I, I feel like that's um, a New Zealand tall poppy thing, potentially. Um, like a jealousy thing, potentially? What are you? It's just something that has been, it actually, I don't think it's just New Zealanders that mm. use that terminology. And uh, I don't have a problem with it, you know. I know you don't. You don't. Yeah. You literally don't care. I don't. And care. I, I wish I was more like you. Yeah, no. <laughs> you, 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 you don't can, give a fuck. You, no, you can say whatever you like to me, and I really don't. Uh, it doesn't bother me because at the end of the day, it is me. I put my head on my pillow and go to sleep knowing who I am. You know, you come and tell me I have four legs. Is that going to bother me? I'm going to be scared <laughs> of myself, thinking, "Oh my God, what? You know, am I? A... No." I know who I am and, you know, these labels um, kind of just shows how lazy people mm. are to do their own sort of investigation or to get to understand somebody before attaching labels. Mm. And I love that. I love that attitude about you because it'd be easy to be defensive about it uh, because it, it's, it's rude of people to assume something about you that they don't actually know. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, you know, being rude is not a crime. <laughs> People are entitled to their thoughts and opinions. Oh, yeah. You know, if that's going to make them feel better about themselves, calling me a gold digger, then for sure. Go oh, yeah. ahead and do that. Well, we'll get to the whole gold digger thing later on. Um, I'd also like to talk about your reality TV experiences, um, your Dancing with the Stars, which I believe you hated, and Real Housewives of, of Auckland. But first of all, let's go all the way back. So you're from Iran. Yes. Born the same year as me, 1973. So the first seven years of your life feeling normal, and then the Iran-Iraq war? Well, what was the f well, I saw, I saw, was about six, the revolution happened. Okay. And then very shortly followed by invasion of Iran by Iraq, yeah, Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Right. 
you, I'm, you'll have to assume I'm the dumbest person in the room because I am. I know very little about um, geography and wars and history, but I'd lo- love to pick your brains about this. So I, I saw a photo of you. I think it was from um, an article you did in Woman magazine. Right. And there's uh, this beautiful photo of you and you're like six or seven and you're smiling and you're on a horse and the horse yeah. is on its hind legs. So fairly normal childhood, nice childhood. Yes. Like, What are your recollections of the first few years? Um, great childhood. Well, and saying that, and my parents always, you know, had a um, had issue with each other. Very, very different characters, and they got married and had my sister. And four years later, I came along. But um, I think by the time I came along, they realized that they were absolutely not compatible. Just two different people. Just very different people. Yeah. My mom is, um, you know, she's she's got a very unique character and um you know she's very specific specific about certain things and my dad is a bit easygoing and you know um just not <laughs> they were in a good match but um he was with us until about i was six i think just when the revolution happened and then they separated um they are still not divorced but you know separated um so uh, until then i had a great childhood i loved my dad loved my mom we traveled, had a great life. There was nothing really that, you know, I I would say my childhood was amazing, you know. Great oh, memories, awesome. great experiences, yeah. Are your parents both still alive? Yes. Yeah. Where, where do they live? Do they live in New Zealand or Iran? They come and go. Right. Yeah. At the moment, both of them are in Iran. Right. They, they like it there? Yes, 100%. Like they, like, they like the food there. It's their community. They can communicate with whoever they want. They have... You know, old friends and relatives that, you know, are still there. Um, and it's a very rich, um, culture rich, historically, you know, beautiful country. Every part of it is beautiful. It's a very, very beautiful place. And people are actually very, very nice. Uh, they're very warm and, you know, everywhere you go, you know, any house, you put five Iranians together, they start playing music and dancing and, um, so yeah, the political situation is terrible, uh, and the country is basically, you know, uh, like has been taken as hostage collectively. All the people are hostages within their own land. Um, uh, and they have been for the past 44 years. Um, that's the sad part, but it doesn't, you know, people put up with the status quo because they still love the country. They mm. love the air, the food, the view, the land, you know. Yeah. So did you and your sister move to New Zealand with your parents or just? No, to, no. So you just moved here on your own. Yeah. How old were you at the, so you were like 17? 16, 17, yeah. So she was, and she was like 20, 21. 20. That's a big move at that age. Were, were, you, were you scared or did it make it easier because you were with your no. big sister? No. I was actually more like, <laughs> my sister is way more cautious than right, I am. Right, right. Um, she's more reasonable than I am. But no, because, you know, um, a lot of people are, I, I guess who grew up in the, the same era as I did, and especially with my family falling apart, you know, do you imagine one day you live normally and then um, your father is gone and then there is this revolution that's happening outside and, you know, your whole world is coming down, collapsing on you. And next thing, um, you know, you look out and you have to cover your hair and you have to do this and the whole society looks different and the TV is showing different things and it's all about religion and, you know, from a vibrant, very happy country going to such extreme, um, basically overnight, it, it kind of, as a child, it doesn't matter how old you are, it 
it gets into your psyche and it starts to you know make you think completely different than a normal child would in under normal circumstances mm. um because you you are seeing like everything around you is changing and next thing you know there is they're bombarding um, you're sitting in your house and you're hearing bombings. Uh, there is invasion to your country. You're, every time you turn TV on, there are dead people, body parts. So very quickly, you become um, a critical thinker. You become very rational because it's a matter of life and death. There, you don't have the luxury of envisaging anything except, you know, what, how can I be smart to survive or, uh, you know, things like that. You know, it's basic survival stuff that um takes over rather than just mm. fantasies so you, you and your sister why new zealand of all places like surely there was somewhere closer where you could enjoy freedom and rights like somewhere in england um but why new zealand it's so 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 far away uh because at the time we uh, could get here easier in okay. terms of getting visas and stuff like that and um language was English. I think uh something that people, you know, discount of what people migrate into New Zealand is so they don't have to learn a second language. They can go and start working or becoming you know, studying. Um so the language was a big deal. And um also the universities in New Zealand they've got a great reputation. It's a very quiet it, at the time um, it, it had a population, I think, of three million or something. Yeah. It was very quiet, uh, safe, safe country. There were no crimes. Um, so it kind of made sense. Um, and, you know, we decided that it was a perfect place to go. Mm. Jeez, a lot's changed here in the last 30 years. It's probably safer in Iran at the moment. Uh, <laughs> a lot of crime here. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, actually, you're right. Yeah. Um, you are not safe from the government. But yeah. in terms of, you know, just people attacking you with samurai swords and, yeah. uh, you know, guns and things like that, machetes, you know, Iran is much safer. Yeah. Mm. So, you, so you come to New Zealand 16, 17 years old, and then like, where do you begin? Where do you begin with setting up a new life? Did you come with much money? Did you have much savings or anything? Um, not much, no, not no. much money. But we knew we had some friends here who were extremely um, amazing people who helped us set up, and um, you know that was a that was a great thing. We kind of travelled a little, looked at New Zealand, settled in Auckland, got ourselves jobs until um, you know we went and studied and got our trainings and university, et cetera. Yeah, back to Iran before you came to New Zealand. So um, the, the thing called the hijab place, mm-hmm. what are they exactly? Um, well, that's an Arabic word. And um, it is basically what any covering that goes over a woman. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now you can refer to, you know, wearing something completely covered like the Taliban's. You know, and just have your eyes shown, for example, or even that covered too. That's a job, but also having the scarf, that's a job too. Mm-hmm. So it's just basically that covers woman. It's called hijab, right? So, so, so the hijab place, they're just um, making sure that every every single person, every single woman, is wearing a hijab at all times. Yes, but wearing hijab correctly—that's where the issue is, because um, there is no set rule of how hijab should be right. worn. Um, so it's up to the people that you come across uh, in this, um, you know, hijab police, for example, if they're having a bad day or they just don't like the way somebody looks or um, they can take you because 
you've got a tiny bit of hair showing or somebody can just have scarf on their you know shoulder and they will just ignore it 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 depends on it. it's very um uh, unclear set of rules um that that's where the issue comes from that's why some of these people who are implementing their power uh, can get away by murdering girls for example because there's no set rule they don't really get punished at all it is just what it is so this this was how it was for you as a teenage girl in iran yeah. is, is yeah. it still like this now yeah so if you go back to iran now to visit your parents you have to wear a hijab for sure <clears throat> of course past couple of years over this um um or past year over what happened to Masa Amini and, you know, the murders, many of them, of young uh, women and men. Uh, people, especially the younger generation, have become more um, aggressive. Or defiant. Yeah, yes, yeah. and they are um, fighting um, the regime by... Um, removing their scarves. So you see, I see a lot of clips that they come out of Iran and you see, you know, a lot of people who are, um, fighting the rules. They don't wear their scarves. They go to the street just looking normal, you know. But then again, you know, they're risking their lives because there is no guarantee that they won't get killed. Yeah, I mean, it's not like here where where you can go to the parliament grounds and protest like the COVID mandates, is it? (laughs) It's a very, very high risk opinion you're having. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I heard there was an incident where you you ended up locked up in jail for like a week before you. No, it was much longer. Um, Yeah, yeah. Before we came to New Zealand, me and my sister. So, so you're like fifteen, sixteen, or yeah, yeah. And you 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 were incarcerated for how long? I I think it was um, about a month or something like that. But they let us go after, you know, a week or two, and then they locked us up again for another couple of weeks. And then, you know, it was on and off because they were like, we had to go to court and we had to go to, they take they took us to, um, the only reason my sister and I managed to basically come out Um and not really get prosecuted it was because they took us to um uh what do you call it um you know the forensic doctors to check out and make sure that we were virgins yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> for was, real yeah I, I don't know if you want to get into this but what what does that entail uh, so you go to uh, in in um, um, you know there's a stop, establishment that is um, for forensic work and all that. So you go there and um, so they, from jail they put us all in this bus um, and they took us there and then we had to be examined by these three people um, to for them to write a certificate whether somebody is a virgin or not. You know, and then if you weren't, then it meant uh, that, you know, you had less crimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do they bring your parents in for this exam? Oh, no, 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 no. Nothing. The parents have no say. They don't even let you call them. So so what happens if you fail this this test? And then they'll um, ask you or interrogate you until you tell them, who yeah, you had lost. sex with, right. or, or, and they'll, they'll uh, marry you. Wow! <laughs> but it yeah. used to be that way those days. I don't know about now, yeah. but that's when I was sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so your parents, when they, 
how do they hear you're incarcerated? Do the like do the um, the guards or the prison or the authorities call them to say, "Hey, your daughter's incarcerated, and this is why"? No, a friend of um, us knew that we were going to that party. I was right. supposed to come and join us later, and then when she arrived, <clears throat> well, she obviously didn't come in because she saw the petrol, you know, cars, and um, so she had told called and said that you know Gilda and Gita were in this party situation and um it's been raided and they've taken them to jail and this is outrageous mm. it is, is it, were your parents are your parents fucked off or is it just like I mean, they, they can't do much but the fact that you know he got us to go you know to go to the judge and you know all that he he did his best and we kind of uh, they separated us because we were virgins too and they put us in a different cell than the other people so it was me my sister and this other girl out of the others yeah. what a traumatic experience well, you talk about it quite um sort of nonchalantly now like it's no big deal but that's um that's a it's traumatic but you know we grow up like that it's not like you go there and this happens to me and you be like, or oh, take a New Zealand teenager and, you know, um, they're like, oh my God, what the hell is happening? It, it gradually, when you grow up in that system, you know it's there, you know. Um, you know it can happen. You know worse things can happen. You know you can go to jail, get raped, and then killed, and that's at end of your life. But you can't stop living as a human. You can't shut up. And I think one of the reasons... Um, people tell me, oh, aren't you worried people say this and that? I'm like, no, I don't give a damn what people say. <laughs> you live once. Yeah, you've got a different perspective on things, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, it was, was it after that incident where you're like, that's it, we got to go? We, yeah. yeah. Okay. And you started looking up other places to go. Well, my sister already, she was studying in this American university. She was doing physics engineering, uh, but she didn't want to stay there. She wanted to come back and, um, you know, for us to go somewhere together. Uh, so when she came back, this thing happened, and then soon after we mm. lived together, yeah. Oh, that's a lot to go through. So when, so were you in New Zealand when the um, Iran-Iraq war started, or did no, you... No, sort no, of get... uh, we came here after. Okay. What are your recollections of that? The Jeez, war? You've, yeah, you've lived through a lot, haven't you? Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. New Ze- the, the last 30 years in New Zealand must seem very boring compared to <laughs> the first 17 years of your life. You know, the the start, it was quite odd because, first of all, you come out and you don't have to cover yourself. And, you know, it's like getting used to the very basic, you know, rights of being a human being. Um, every time in Iran, they used to have these cars, uh, which are like four-wheel drives, big, like Range Rovers or something. Um, they used to belong to the uh, morality police. Morality um, police? Yeah. So they they just used to wander aimlessly in the streets to make sure no man is talking to a woman or you know your your hair is covered you're not listening to music you don't have makeup you know stuff like that so we grew up with that above our head all the time but we all sort of fought it took risks you know little by little um, dragged our little bit of freedom out at the risk that you push know, boundaries yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely um, so. Coming to New Zealand, at the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, my God, you know, I don't have to wait. But every time I, I used to see these four-wheel drives, I'd be like, oh, like, you know, in the car, oh, my God. It, it oh, like triggering. Se- yeah, it yeah. takes a few seconds for you to sort of 
just adjust yourself and be like, oh, no, no, that's not the morality place because you've grown up with it. You know, you don't know any better. Um, so that that was interesting. But once you get over that, then, yeah, mm. it's good. And what what are your memories of the war? Um, did did like did you have any like male friends or yeah anyone that that went to war? Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. My dad actually went to war. Really? Yeah, he was he was doing something. He had a specialty that they took him. It had to do with mines and clearing mm. mines and stuff like that. Um. Oh, I, I know many people who died at war, um, family, friends. Because in Iran, it's not like, oh, you believe in, you know, this regime, so you go to war. No, it, it was, you know, national emergency. The country was invaded just after revolution. We didn't even have an army. The very first responders were, um, Basij were, uh, who were like local to each area that they went and stood against, um, the invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, it became a bigger sort of establishment of its own. Um, but, um, yeah, everybody, and also if you're a, in an age that you have to go to army, it's compulsory. You have to go. There is no ifs and buts or, you know, choice. Um, a lot of people went, a lot of people got killed. Cause I've, I've heard stories about, um, like stadiums um, in Iran that were like repurposed as like a, a place, uh, yeah, like a morgue. With- kind of, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I was actually I, I lived in Tehran, which is the capital of Iran, and uh, there was a time where we had this big attack. You know, it was like a pushback to the Iraqi um, soldiers, and um, so they called it the hundred thousand people army, where hundred thousand of young men all going to recruit and all going to do one um, insertion or one attack. And I think they all died. Most of them are died. Most of them died. And I remember because in the streets, we used to see them march on the way there. And there were so many of them. 100,000 is a lot of people. Mm. And um, after the attack, they brought back their bodies. And they, they couldn't even like... Um, in majority of cases, they would just fill up bags with body parts. And they put like a tag, army tag in it and would give it to the people. They weren't even their kids, you know, they weren't even um, their children or family members. Uh, But the smell of it was everywhere. Tehran is a city of 20 million. At the time it had like 15 million or whatever. Big city. It's a huge, you know, the smell was everywhere, you know. Just the smell of death. Yeah. Mm. It it was, uh, you, you don't forget things like that, you know. It was um, all these young, happy, hopeful people going brainwashed by the government to go and die for God or whatever. And, you know, they come back in bits and pieces like minced meat. Do you, do, you, do, you have any, do you have nightmares about it or anything? No. No. Did you at any time? How long did it take? You mentioned before how triggering it was seeing the um, the vehicles in New Zealand that you thought might be the morality police. Yeah, like how long was it before after you left um, Iran and came to New Zealand that you felt like fully sort of relaxed? Like, okay, nothing bad's going to happen to me here. I still don't. Why do you think I'm so vocal about the state of New mm. Zealand? Because I'm worried. You never forget how things can change overnight and how humans can turn against each other, how, um, you know, uh, uh, an ideological sort of powerful system can come and disregard you as a human being for the greater good. You don't forget that. I, I, why do you think, you know, people ask me, oh, you know, you, can, you have such a nice life, you can go anywhere, you can do anything. You can wear. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but that can go away 
overnight. And I see, you know, during the process, for example, when I went down to Wellington, I saw all these people from all walks of life. Some had nothing. They were living in, you know, their cars because they lost their jobs. And that was triggering for me. That mm. that's when I was like, you know, nobody should ever sit and be quiet about what's happening. People should have a sense of responsibility towards their fellow humans, um, because you know, once your human rights is gone, it is very hard to get it back. Mm. You know, when things are taken away from you, it is very hard to get them back. Yeah. That's a fact of life. Anywhere, any, you know, political rules, boundaries, whatever comes in, they hardly ever leave. They are there to stay. And that that's just so your freedom shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And if you're not aware, if you don't take it serious, you know, yeah, sure, people tell me, oh, she's so like crazy. She thinks, you know, she's a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, etc. cetera. Um, that's okay. But, you know, for me... Then again, I can put my head on my pillow and say I did the right thing for my children, mm. for my fellow human beings, um, knowing that I did my best, whether it worked or it didn't work. But at least every day I'm thinking that. And so far, I think with this uh, mandates and COVID issues and the way the government has handled stuff, um, I don't think I've ever made a mistake. I think I've been on point mm. on everything that I stood for. And I'm glad that I did. It's quite funny, isn't it? It feels like we're um, almost at a stage now in society where if you have any sort of opinion that's not mainstream popular, it's just very easy to you know, put you in a box and say you're an alt-right conspiracy theorist. Sure. Seems to be a st- at a, a state we're at now. That's exactly what it, that's how it works, this ideological yeah. sort of establishments coming in. The reason I don't care about that is because I grew up in one until I was 16. The most you know important years of my life I learned how these things work. You know, I watched it happen. If you open your mouth, said anything, you're, you're a heretic. You don't believe in Islam. You don't believe in the collective uh, goodness and the greater good. Um, that's all excuse and bullshit because, you know, the, they're absolutely taking away the rights of the greater population mm. for their own ideology. I, I don't agree with that. I've lived through it and I can see that it started happening um, not under Islamic ideology, but under a different ideology um, where a group of people in power feel like they can dictate to everybody else how yeah. they should live. That's not being free. And it's worrisome because I don't want my children to go through what I went through. And yes, I know they've got a great life. We are in the most beautiful country in the world. And I love this country. But um, looking at overseas, what's happening there and looking at New Zealand, the way they're going um, uh, about things in New Zealand, Mm. um, to me, it's like, oh, shit, this is all happening again. Mm. Different way, but the same path. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Did you, did you, um, you mentioned before you went to the um, the COVID protests in Wellington. Did you, are you vaccinated? Did you get the no. vaccine or no? No. I'm a sheeple. I just go along with whatever's going. Like the government tells me to get three jabs, I'll get three fucking jabs. I just want to go with the path of least resistance. But I look back now and there was some, um, yeah, one of my good friends got married and I was a groomsman and his mum had to have like a fake vaccine passport to to even attend her own son's wedding um, because the caterers wouldn't let her in otherwise. Also, and you look back now, recent, it was only like two or three years ago. And it's you, you think, you know, she was sort of um, almost like a leper at her own son's wedding at that mm-hmm. time. And it's only like recent history. And you look back now and go, well, maybe she had a fair point. Do you know what I mean? And there was people that, that were forced out of their jobs. Yeah. And you look back now, and it's only, again, only a couple of years ago, and you think, well, maybe these people sort of had a point. Um, thinking rationally and ob- objectively becomes a crime, um, and you're being judged for taking making decisions for your own health or, um, you know, doing your own research at the time uh, having it w- with internet obviously you have access to the best um uh, you know virologists in the world the best scientists in the world and they are telling you after all their years and this information was available before the vaccination came to new zealand and they were all worried about it and they were very um outspoken and verbal about it it didn't take a, you know, you could just go and find this information and they were all valid um, and make your mind. But when talking logic or taking ownership of your own life, all of a sudden is you being a heretic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, it's, again, like I was saying before, I think it's an easy box to put people into that have any sort of opinion that's not, you know, mainstream or popular. It's just, it's like an easy box. Just call them alt-right conspiracy theorists. Yeah, well, the the thing is, you know, what bothers me is that it's a very hi- hypocritical way that, um, you know, the, our government has been dealing with a personal freedom. So if I come today and then I, I say I'm a different gender and uh, this is my pronouns, this is what I think, and everybody should respect that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Let's like raise all the flags and uh, support, um, you know, um, what you're saying because you're an individual we should respect your yeah. ideology we should respect your thoughts and we should respect your feeling so i come in and i'm like oh, i'm a mother of two i am worried it's not enough research 
I don't 100% trust this procedure. I want to take my time. Oh, you, um, you know, you, you're just a conspiracy theory. Um, uh, why are you, you know, doing this? It's not all about you. You're being selfish. So what is it? Either do we, we, either we have the personal freedom of thought and choice or we don't. Yeah. Don't come at me and say, oh, you know, I'm, I come from, I don't know, um, some race or somewhere or some country. So I, you know, I'm more accepted because, um, I have more thoughts and, uh, and everybody say, yeah, 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 and everybody else has to shut up. That's not okay. Mm. If you if you give freedom and choice to people, then I respect that and don't be hypocritical about it. Would you ever get into politics? You got any interest in that? Um, yeah, I, I get asked about this, this question a lot. Um, I don't have any interest to get into politics, but... but you've got some very strong opinions, I, and I you're do. very smart as well. But I, I, I definitely have an issue with how the, our political system in New Zealand uh, has been um, sort of handled. Uh, we vote, and we get these people in, they go, they make... They make Hang on, Kanye, the- no. No. You're being very naughty. You're just you're bored about the COVID chat, I reckon. <laughs> but I'm not. Yes. Well, so what you're saying is you. Um, um, so I, I believe that it needs to be kind of tackled, and people, we are voters and we have rights. Um, but we vote these people in, they go in there with no accountability, do whatever they want, nobody questions them, nobody goes and holds them responsible. Hey, you promised these things. Where are they? What happened? We don't have an establishment like that. And I believe that we do. We are in dire need of an entity that overlooks what government does in terms of making sure they deliver in any cooperation, anywhere you'll have that accountability except uh, within this government and how you know they run it. Now, that doesn't exist in many other mm-hmm. places in the world either, but it doesn't mean that it can't exist. And yeah. I believe that it is definitely, you know, we need a whole bunch of people who are experts and passionate uh, who can come and make sure the government delivers what they promise. Yeah. So we're, we're recording this before the election. It'll come out sometime after the election. Who Do you know which way you're voting? Yes. Do you share that or no? I have shared that, yes. I've yeah. said that I will uh, vote national and um, NZ first. But you know, NZ first? Yes. Winning? Sure. Um, I've never voted for him before, but I um, people are like, oh, we have trust issues. Have you seen Luxon before in the parliament? No. Have well, David on top? No. Have you, you know, how do you know these people will deliver? Mm. You know, this guy, I'm looking, I'm looking at the odds. I'm thinking for the age that he is, the experience that he has. The fact that he's talking about these subjects that we've been uh, shut down for a few years now, he's bringing it up. He's talking about them. He's um, advocating and standing up for a whole bunch of people um, that otherwise nobody gives a damn about, yeah. you know. This, like I say that as an immigrant and I talk to a lot of other immigrants and they see the same way because at the moment we see what happens. It's a thing between like the colonial white people and the Maori people. It's like, great, you guys have your thing, but what about us immigrants? We are a big number of us in New Zealand who've been here for years, um, paid our taxes, We've delivered too. So I think we shouldn't be lost in the uh, equation for what British colonial did to the Maori people. Mm. We came here too and we got accepted and we were given uh, equal rights 
um, like every other citizen. But during the COVID, I have friends here from, um, you know, um, Somalia. I have friends from um, Zimbabwe. I have friends from Nigeria, you know. Um, while people are going out there screaming Black Lives Matter, at the same time, uh, Ministry of Health says, oh, you know, if you get sick, if you are Maori or Pacifica, you'll go on to priority list to see a person in the hospital. So what, these African friends of mine are not, all of a sudden, their black lives doesn't matter? Mm. You can't have this. I understand this whole of uh, the history of what's happened, but you can't take away other human beings' rights in order to um, prove a point or get more rights for yourself. This is wrong. And the government, you know, is in some ways, you know, they're pussyfooting around the subject. And the only person that comes out and says, no, everybody's equal. All these immigrants who've come to this country and contributed, they also are equal. They have rights. It shouldn't be this person is of this race, therefore uh, th this person has more priority or rights over another person. Um, and I think I vote as an immigrant for Winston because uh, he is for that equality. Mm. He's a real character. Um, I would love to get him on the podcast at some stage. He's been, he's been in Parliament for such a long time. Like you see you know, footage from the 1970s yes. and he's in there. Yeah, he's actually quite a lot as well. You know, he's mm. a very intelligent person. I, I socially, you, you had much to do with him? Uh, I socially have known him for very many years, over 20 years, but um, just here and there in social occasions. Um, recently, I did have him um, to come to my place. Um, I, I kind of like, I got, you know, and, and what is it, Democracy NZ and um, ACT. Winston, also National came, also O'Connor, um, Simon O'Connor. So I quite like to get different groups of people together and have them question and ask and get make their decisions for themselves. Just don't be, you know, sheeple. Don't just be, oh. <laughs> That's me. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> I, it's not you. But... No, no, it completely is. I just don't want to rock the boat. And some of the stuff you've said, I agree with, and I'm sure a lot of people would, but most of us will just bite our tongues or keep our mouths shut because you don't want to stick your neck out. And you do, and I admire that about you. Thank you. And there's uh, traits that you have that I wish I had more of, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would, but we're like, oh, I don't need the aggravation in my life. It's, you know, I totally understand that. It's a poor attitude, though, isn't it? It's, it? Look, not every human being has gone through the same experiences, and we don't all have the same personalities. Um, hence, we all have different perspectives and different way of thinking and looking at things. Um, so that's okay. You know, um, some people are shy, some people just don't want to be bothered because, you know, it's just too, it puts too much mm. um, stress, anxiety on them. Um, I think I've overcome all that when I was a child. So. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you just need some sort of um, some sort of friction or some sort of even mild drama in your life? <laughs> I don't. I actually hate that. I actually hate that. I, um, I, I'm a good time person. Yeah. I love good times. I love family time. I love getting together, cooking, traveling, my kids, you know. Um, I like everything that everybody else, normal human beings mm. like, you know, just, a, you know, basic happiness. Um, however, it is not, you know, hence I didn't like dancing with the stars because I hate competition. I, I'm not a competitive person. I, I don't care if somebody wins or, you know, I, to me, it's all the same. Um, but unfortunately, 
um, when I go to like sort of a mode where I get worried or sort of stressed and, you know, I get triggered that I see a change that I don't smell anything good coming out of it. Mm -hmm. That's when I go to this kind of a, um, aggressive mode where I'm like, like a barking chihuahua everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. And you're, you're a mum of two fairly young boys as well. So you, you're obviously concerned about how the future's going to look for them in New Zealand. That is the main thing. Yeah. If it wasn't for my kids, I was, oh, <laughs> Don't worry, I'll, I'll stay yeah. off Twitter. I'll, yes. I'll be like, oh, I, I'm just going to go and live a fabulous life and then give a damn about <laughs> anybody else. But the reality is when you're a parent, you're a mother um, or father, you, you you worry, you you don't think about you at that time. You think about what is to come for the future of your children. Because unfortunately, with my past, um, you know, growing up in a country like that, you know, I always was like, oh, my God, my kids, I, I've done so well. My kids will have a fabulous life and they look at the sea. How's your mental health been? Like, have, do, do you do you have any, you, you've talked about being triggered by some things. You said you haven't had any nightmares. Do you have any, like, PTSD or your mental health's been, like, pretty good over you know, there's been no time as an adult where, you know, you've you've had to go and um, like unpack or readdress some of the some of the early stuff. Yeah, but I'm I'm kind of because um... you do seem like remarkably resilient and strong and level headed. Do you think part of that comes from the adversity that you suffered early on? Yes, um, you know um, what I grew up with. Um, at the time, if I hadn't managed as a child to deal with it and sort it out, um, I would have not survived. I would have been an absolute mess. Uh, but as everything was happening, it was just, you know, I was taking it, analyzing as a very young age, you know, um, dealing with it and understanding it. You know, when you, it's quite a strange feeling, you know, where you, um, you know, you're asleep and then all of a sudden, bombs are dropping on you and you have to run outside. Well, there is no real place you can go and hide, right? But you just go under, you know, your house in the garage oh, or yeah. something. Yeah, your house is the safe place. Yeah, but it, it's just that whole, you know, it's a useless practice, but it's that whole notion of, oh, I'm doing something to stay alive, you know, that takes your sort of uh, fear away or you get over, you don't think about the bombs dropping and you go and you're like, Oh, it is stopped. And then you count it. Like there were eight bombs, for example, today, tonight or today and uh, rockets or whatever. And, and then you think, Oh, there are people like I'm alive, but a whole bunch of other people have died. Mm. And as harsh as it sounds, you think, Oh, I'm a survivor. I win this. I'm still alive. You don't really think that much about these other people who've died. And then next day you see on TV all these buildings collapsing or people dying. Um, yeah, it, uh, I think going through that, today's stuff aren't. That's <laughs> nothing. Yeah, every, like every day's a blessing for you. Every day's a good day. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, you know, um, you know, I'm going back to your original question about the gold digger and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, one of the reasons, for example, you know, I like when I was going uh, to uni and generally I just wouldn't gel with young New Zealand men 
it's just they had a whole different sheltered life and none of them really understood you know like i couldn't talk to them about politics i wouldn't talk to them about like uh well in the international stuff or you know a whole bunch of experiences that i had i hardly could find anybody who had you know you could talk to them and they will sit there and look at you like what the fuck and that was it you know um <laughs> you as i said at the beginning of this I, like i find you very intimidating because you're very intellectual yeah, no, you're very smart. No, no it's not about that but it, it's it's, it's like it, i've lived a life you know so when i met my ex-husband he had been a young immigrant to new zealand you know he started from nothing he um came from a very conflicted Place, you know, um, his parents were Irish, so his mom was orange and his dad was his mom was green and his dad was orange. It's a no go. So his family, his father's family, tried his mother's family tried her father's family tried to shoot his father because you know um, it was it was a sacrilege to mix Protestant and Catholic. Mm. Um, So they had to move and go and live elsewhere. And so he understood. And and then when he was a child, his father went to war. He understood the concept of war. He was a young immigrant. You know, he went through a lot of stuff emotionally that I went through in different settings, in different time zones. Mm. But the same experiences, you know, uh, coming here at very young age on his own, you know, jumping ship. so him and I really gelled and connected, mm. you know, although there there was, you know, he was much older than me, but it, it, it just worked. We were like, whoa, you know, um, we get each other. And mm. that to me was my digging gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is, um, this is your, you, you, are you still legally married? You, you broke up. No, no, no. You divorced. divorced because um, it, it was actually amicable um, at the time, like, for a couple of years, we were discussing that I was like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to want to have children so we can adopt or, you know, um, get a donor, etc. And he was firmly against that. And he told me that... Because he, because he already had adult kids or yeah, he just yeah, didn't he want to do like, it again? Oh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, and I was like, fine. And so anyway, it took kind of a couple of years and... Um, we were like even when I had my first child, we were still living together, you know. Mm. Uh, so it was we were very open about the process yeah. what happened, um, and uh, we are still best friends. I see him, you know, a couple of times a week. Um, yeah. So this is um, this is uh, James Kirkpatrick, who's yes. um, forty three years old. So he's how old now? Like ninety three. Yeah, ninety three. So so when you when you got together, you were. 26, I think. 26, and so he was 20, 40, like early 70s. No, I think 69 right. or something. Yeah. Right. And um, you just like attracted, just attracted to the intellect? Yeah. Or it, yeah, it, it was that. It, it was that. We just, um, you know, had so much to talk about. And he was so charming, you know. Um, we had lots of com- friends. Uh, Friends in common. That's mm. how I met him. And uh, he originally told me and my sister that he wanted, he was doing some project in um, Otahu, I think, or something. Mm. And he wanted our um, help because at the time, um, you know, we studied architecture. So, um, and that was his, you know, he was a developer. And um, then he gave a project, I think, to do his offices or something like that. So it was kind of a gradual thing. Mm. As I, and he just, 
one time out of the blue, he was like, oh, you know, introduce me to some, like, some of his friends as my fiance. And we started, I was like, what the, you know, like, <laughs> it was just funny. It was, yeah, yeah. you know, and it kind of was like, oh, well, why not? You know, it wasn't like a passionate thing. It, it like a just, slow burn where you just sort of got on really well. And it, it was, yeah, but it was never about, um, you know, lost and it wasn't it, our friendship it was full of respect mm. our age difference was a lot uh, he was going through some stuff at the time and um it, it just worked it was more like a um great friendship that got the marriage stamp on mm. it yeah so it was a great friendship and you connected on an intellectual level but it must have been nice to know he was rich as well. <laughs> you know it was yeah. it was but like just for the the secure security aspect if nothing else to be fair, it was, it's the, you know, people might look at it funny way, but when a person comes from nothing and achieves what he had achieved, it is, you know, you just develop this respect and like, wow, you, you know, um, it's the same as like some of these like scientists or people that you look that they've created something. They don't have much money, but intellectually they're like, whoa, you know, you've achieved this. And, you know, they've got like professors, penniless professors who are, you know, all these young girls fall in love with them. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that. The fact that he had managed to do so many, um, terrible jobs and, you know, live in such poverty yet get himself there. Um, that was so admirable. It's a turn on, isn't it? Someone that, that's, that's who's that not to Who's not to fall in yeah. love with that? You yeah. Know? So you got married. What What was the judgment like? There must have been a lot of judgment from a lot of people. Did that hurt or not really? Uh, or did no. It? I didn't care. Yeah. He didn't care. I was like. <laughs> mm. my, uh, my partner, we, we get a lot of that. You know, you do. And it's, it's, yeah, but I don't understand, Dom. It's, it's just people are, just, you know, if you go and marry a handsome rich prince, oh, my God, you've done so well. It's like, what? what the, and then he goes and has affairs and dumps you yeah. two minutes later. And they, oh, it, it's, what, why is it that we celebrate people who um, go after, like, this crazy package that uh, – has been promoted in I don't know Disneyland or Hollywood it is. It's of, of people. Oh, this person has to be certain height and looks like this and a certain age and body like this and this much and a nice car or whatever. Oh my God, what a great girl! We go and celebrate people who go for the cliche of Hollywood and Disney bullshit, the prince and princess's story. And, oh, people cry over it. Oh, my God, she married this prince. And then people who go and marry whoever they want, you know, old or young or whatever. Who cares? Mm. So should you go and criticize somebody who marries a billionaire who is young and handsome also? Should you call them a gold digger? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's no different, is it? It's no, um, no, no different. And obviously, you know, if, if you're just in it for the money, there's no way you're going to be married for 15 years, let alone um, break up and still be oh, best friend. Best like friends. Knows. Yeah, yeah. He loves the kids. He loves my partner. We're best friends. He's extremely um, supportive. You know, he spent a couple of months last Christmas uh, with us. Um, you know, up north. There is no, you know, he doesn't have an issue. And people are like, oh, you know, it's like he doesn't have an issue. I don't have an issue. What is it to you? Mm. 
I love that. How's his, how's his health now? Is he okay? He's okay. Yeah. He goes to so, work. Right. Does yeah, he? Yeah. 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 He goes to work. Jeez, that's great. Mm. In, in your 90s, it's, uh, you're in sniper's alley, aren't you? But, Definitely. but he's not a normal person. What do, what do you mean? Yeah, he's, he's just always been, you know, with the amount of wealth he has, he lives so moderately, you know. He's not a um, kind of a guy that who not goes flashing. to work to make money yeah. to flash and buy this and that, and you know, have a. He goes to work because he believes in productivity. He believes in what he does, and um, you know, hardly ever you come across people like that. Mm. But in a funny way, that's probably what's kept him um, fit and healthy yes. and vital. I mean, you, you stop work at 50, 60, 70, whatever, and then then what happens? If that's all you know, then it's almost like you've lost that purpose, that he reason always, to wake up in the morning. He always used to say, the day, I wo- uh, the day I stop working, I'll die. Yeah. You know, because to him, like even like nowadays they deliver for him, but like when he used to go and supermarket and shop, he used to like be worried about two cents more and two cents less. <laughs> you know? Was that just a hangover from his like povo upbringing? No, no. His early years? No, right? it's just him. Right. You know, he's <laughs> just a tight ass. It's not, he <laughs> looks at it as value. Right. He doesn't believe in wasted. Okay. Yeah. And how hard is it when, when, when you broke up after 15 years? You said it was amicable, but was it? Oh, it was on the car. It's, we had yeah. talked about it. It wasn't public, you know. Um, it, it wasn't. It's, we are still, you know, the same. Nothing has changed you know, from the day I met him to now. Nothing really has changed. Mm. I see him less because we're not living together. That's basically it. But other than that, mm. nothing really has changed. So I, th- I think it was around this, probably this time, putting a timestamp on the conversation where you were, where you were married to James, that you became like um, a socialite. Like I just moved up to Auckland from Palmerston North. What year was that? Like in the uh, in the early two thousands, right? And it's every weekend there's the um, the Herald on Sunday, and they had a section called Spy. Um, Ricardo Simic does it now, but I think it was this, this lady called Bridget Saunders. Yes, yeah. I and know. you were like in the paper every weekend. Yeah. Always going out to things. Sure. I why did, why why was there so much interest in you? Um uh, you know, it's funny because people misunderstood the situation. People were like, Oh, you're looking for exposure and fame. I'm like, for what? What happened <laughs> is that because and before that James didn't really have a public profile. It was quite but but I think putting him and me together um, all of a sudden, it was just this normal. In Europe, young women marry old men all the time. In Middle East, they marry all the time. Nobody cares. But in here, it was like, oh. Um, <laughs> so it, it was, to them, it was very really intriguing. And, yeah. you know, um, they started picking on me. They started, you know, qu- writing in gossip columns before even I, you know, oh, James and has married this Gilda. And, you know, but, so what I did was like, well, there is no shame. I'm not going to hide from this. Do you want a picture? You come and take a picture. You know, if it's a freak show, come. I'm the freak. Take a picture. Um, and that was my attitude. I'm not going to go and hide because I married somebody older. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a thing. You know, kings used to marry young people all the time. They were celebrated. But here it was like, oh, my God. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, I had um Rachel, you know Rachel Hunter? Do you know her? Yes. Yeah, I had her on the podcast and she had an interesting take on that because we talked about um, the power imbalance of, you know, her and Rod Stewart. So she was in her early 20s. He was in his 40s, I think, and he was you know, a famous pop star. 
And her take on it is that um, there's also power in youth and beauty. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she's like, Rod didn't have all the power and I was just this hopeless young thing. It's like, and it's, I suppose it's the same thing with you guys. Like he was older than you and had the money, um, but you, you, you know, you had your youth and your beauty and there's power in that. Um, um, you know, it's, you know, everything in life that we do, there is exchange. If you fall in love with somebody, a prince and, you know, a princess from different countries, they, they get married. There is always other ulterior motives too. If somebody makes you feel bad, you don't want to go out with them. You don't want to be with them. You don't want to marry them. If somebody doesn't give you that right vibes or so it's, it's kind of give and take. Yes. If I was a, of a certain age, I suppose if I had this different figure, if I looked differently, if my brain didn't work the way it did, that didn't connect with them. There was no way out of all these people in the world, he would want to marry me. Mm. You know, yeah. so it's not like, oh, let's go and find myself a rich old man. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, you're not shopping. It has to work both ways. One of the smartest, cleverest human beings alive saw me and chose me and connected with me. You know, he was extremely successful, very, very, very smart. You know, um, nobody could fool him. So, to me, that was a compliment that, wow, this guy with all his mighty can see me and connects with me and we can talk about the same things. He respects my opinion. He asks me for advice, you know. So that gave me this, you know, sort of feeling of um, value, value, wow. grandeur, you know, and especially as somebody who came here so young without a family, lacking a dad all my life. Um, you know, now we, I've reconnected with my dad about 14 years ago. Before that, I never saw him. Um, so it was kind of, he was all of a sudden a whole family, mm. you know? Yeah, actually, yeah. I never thought about that because I thought the, um, the relationship with both your parents was sound, but I suppose gold diggers are something that people would say. And another thing people would say was, would be daddy issues. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So maybe an element of da daddy issues. So my problem was I couldn't connect to anybody around my own age yeah. because they were just too immature. Yeah. You know, I had lived this life of very intense and um, so younger people to me were like, oh, let's go get drunk. You know, I'm like, oh, God, you know, those <laughs> days I didn't even drink. You know, it was like, you know, and I was working all the time. But um, he, he, he kind of gave me that whole package of security family and somebody who understands um somebody who makes me feel safe so i don't feel like oh this young guy is gonna leave me and like my dad left my mom my dad was very handsome mm. you know he was all that character personality and money it was everything uh but he always kind of was very independent doing his own thing and my mom was always like oh still my mom blabbers about my dad you know, he's still not over that. I never wanted to put myself in that situation where I, I, I would be left behind or had to deal with an affair or yeah. that was like, oh, that's just my red zone. I will never red line cross that. And with him, I was like, okay, he's older. He's not going to go and have affairs on me. He's not going to do this. He's not going to leave me, you know. So it made me feel secure and safe. And, and so what? He was older. Who cares? You know? Yeah. And so you guys um, got married, and is that when you bought the 
the house you live in now? No, we lived the, What's it called? The, the cake house. No, what's the... They call it the wedding cake. The wedding cake house. Yeah, it's one of the most famous and, I guess, visible houses in Auckland. For anyone that's not in Auckland, if you're driving along um, the waterfront, Tamaki Drive, towards, um, say, um, Kelly Tarleton's, it's a big one up on the, up on the hill. And look, look, does it look like a wedding cake? doesn't really look like a wedding cake, does it? Well, I don't know why they call it. See, <laughs> Connie just wanted to come and give me kisses. You just wanted to come and sit with me. You're making all that noise because yeah. you were down there. I know it'll be. Yeah. So that's um. I I don't think I've ever been to your house, but I drive past it. It's it's a big house and it's a it's a very handsome property. Oh, uh, thank you. No, we we lived up the road at number five mm-hmm. uh, for I think about five years, and then um, this property be- became available. Um, and I always liked it um, because it was, um, I don't know, you know, immigrant, you come to New Zealand, the first thing you do, you go to Mission Bay on the way, oh my God, that house. And there's a famous area <laughs> in Tehran where I live. Um, it's called Sharakab and it, uh, it's got all these houses on the cliff and it always reminded me of home, you know? Right. Um, so I was like, oh, that house is so dreamy. It's like round. It looks like some sort of a, you know, castle. Uh, so when it came available, James was like, hey, he, I remember he came home and he said, oh, your favorite house is in the market. I'm going to go knock on the door and see, you know, if they're... Um, and, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, so he bought it and I renovated the whole thing. I project managed, uh, did the whole thing basically. Uh, and then he was like, oh, you know, this house is like nice, but, you know, the next door is available now. <laughs> maybe you should, maybe I should buy that. We do that and we move there. And I was like... So he went and bought number 92. But I was like, I, I just like number 90 because I brought all the material. <laughs> yeah, so he sold it a few years ago, but uh, the number 92 next door. But, yeah. yeah. Is that your forever home, do you think? You'll live there? Um... Well, you know, there is no forever anything. Yeah, yeah. It so, is who, home who, to us. The kids love it. Who lives there? You, you can't be doing the cleaning yourself. It's massive, right? Like uh, sp- sprawling. No, I have had a housekeeper with me for um, 18 years. Like a living house cleaner? Um, no, she she's a housekeeper. Oh. She basically owns the house. <laughs> <laughs> she's a family. She's, she's very close. Um, so she's been with uh, me for a very long time. Yeah. Right. Right, and uh, do you have like um, an aquarium in there with turtles? I think yeah, I, re- I do. Really? <laughs> it's one of those things that you hear, and I'm not sure if it's like real or an urban myth. Is that right? How big's this tank? Uh, like Kelly Tarleton's big? No, no, no. <laughs> it's the same, the same width as, oh, as a wardrobe. That, yeah. Okay. How big are the turtles? Um. Oh, yeah, like a thirty centimeters. Yeah. No, about that size at the moment. Yeah. They're only a couple yeah. of years old. How many? How many bedrooms is this house? Um, have you got around to counting them all yet? Yes. Uh, we have four bedrooms, uh, an office, and then there's a outhouse, which is uh, like, a, on suite, like a suite on its own with kitchen, bathroom, and everything. Oh, yeah. Separated. Is that on Airbnb? No. Oh, yeah. My mom stays there. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you could probably get a couple of hundred bucks a night on that. <laughs> Let's get into the reality TV stuff then. So... Uh, what came first? Was it Dancing with the Stars? Then, no. okay. so it was Real Housewives. Yeah. So that was um that that was on Bravo. Went for one se- one season. One season. Yeah. Why did you go? On, why the hell did you go on that? You must have watched some of the other um, series from overseas and realized that yeah, it's just. Is it like we were talking about before? You need a certain level of like drama or friction uh, in your life because that's exactly what you're setting yourself up for with a show like that, isn't it? 
Mm, well, <laughs> at the time, um, I was like passionate about this book I was working on. And um, when I had a meeting with them, they came and approached and they said that it was a great platform if you wanted to promote a product or whatever that, you know, you have. And I was like, oh, what a great idea. I can promote my book because what I wanted to do at the time, I didn't write a book to write books. I didn't do the books because I wanted to have books out there. I wanted to have a couple of books so then I could go and um, try to get them into animation series. So at the time, that was my thought. Um, and I believed in the concept of the books, you know. Um, what I, was it, like sci-fi books yeah. for kids? Uh, well, yeah. it, it, it was 100% based on um, astrophysics and real okay. science. So I, I had two consultants from um, Auckland University who were astrophysicists, and they helped me with all the scientific stuff. Um, and it's educational. And I had feedbacks from a whole bunch of people who had, uh, autistic children or who, you know, who couldn't concentrate on science yet because this book was pictures. Um, for the first time, apparently they had shown interest and learned science, learned about, you know, solar system and our uh, galaxy. Uh, so that was my passion. And I was like, oh, it's a great idea. So I get some like free publicity too. Mm. And then I went and I'd never watched this show. So when I watched as a research, I was like, shit, that's like, you know, that's pretty intense. <laughs> it is. Uh, there are some psycho people in there. <laughs> and, um, and then I thought, oh, well, for years I've been everywhere there is nothing that i have in closet in the closet i've never you know i've, I've been an open book well, what's gonna happen you know <laughs> so that was my approach and i was like oh um yeah that's why i kind of partook in that thing and um it was great and you know it opened some doors mm. i couldn't get the animation thing going um it was going to be too costly all right so i kind of let go of that so no no regrets about going on that show? No. No, you enjoyed it. So who did, who did you know beforehand? You were friends with uh, Michelle and um, Louise? I knew Michelle. We weren't friends. I, I basically was friends with nobody in there. We knew each other. And like, I didn't know Louise. I had saw her on TV, I think. I, I, I knew Anne, I think, just very distant. Oh, the champagne lady. Yeah, right. very distant. With the cats. Yeah, and I think Julia, I had seen her, I think at some point she was going off with somebody that I knew, but never like friends, like just hi, you know, kind of a thing. So I really didn't, you know. Right. And then there was um, Angela, the Christchurch lady. I didn't know her at all. Yeah. And that that um, provided one of the most famous uh, lines, I think, from the series, which became like a meme. I think this is even before the, the word meme was a thing. Wait, can you, what was your line? Do you know what I've heard about you? Absolutely nothing. Is no. that the line? No, not what a was, fucking thing. Not a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line. It's a great line. Was that sort of like pre-prepared or no? No. no. <laughs> no, it was not. It was an ambush. That's, that's, that is savage. That is absolutely savage. When when you um, cut someone down like that, like, do you feel a little bit bad afterwards at any stage? No. <laughs> well, she came for it. She was uh, sitting there making up all this rubbish. And, I, and I'm like, like, she's like the ward in the street. And I'm like, ward in the, oh, what are you? Like a drug dealer in the street? <laughs> you know, the ward in the street. <laughs> Who knows the ward in the street? <laughs> So, no, that was like, no, she's all right. It was just like the production trying to push a certain... Stir shit, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah um, to make the 
show watchable basically or you know shock people and and it's basically a formula there's a very very clear formula into those all those shows 100 percent, like a template that they follow absolutely yeah, yeah. um so I, I don't blame her i have no animosity towards anybody on that show mm. um it was interesting it was funny i didn't get hurt by it if anything it was very entertaining for myself <laughs> <laughs> And so you, your kids were young at the time. Will yeah. they? Will they? Have you got a copy of it, like online or on DVD, that they'll watch one day? Um, I think they gave us a DVD. I don't have a DVD player. <laughs> 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 I don't know where you can watch it. Yeah, surely there. Are. I think they're still airing them in some countries. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's probably online somewhere. YouTube, maybe. Yeah. You may not want to answer this, but yeah, your kids through like IVF. No, or no, I'm, did you... I'm living with their dad. Oh, your current partner. You, you guys have been together a long time. Yeah. Right. So, 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 James, James didn't want to have kids. So, you guys end up going your separate ways. Yes. Then you met this new fella. Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's cool. How old, are, how old are the kids now? Um, ten, and the other one just turned eight now. Right. Are they good kids? Yes, very good kids. Yeah. I think they are good kids. They are not menaces. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you have like um, live, in, live in help, like nannies or staff? No, when they were younger, because I was working all the time. I was like a workaholic, basically, until COVID hit. Um, so I was in the office all the time. And with my our job, we kind of entertain clients, etc. You know, advertising, it's a very buzzy. Thing. Yeah, so this is a company called Asenco that you set up and uh, you're creative no, director? No, I set up Rascals and then we changed it to oh, yeah. Asenco and then we had some people that we didn't want to work with. So my partner and I set up another company which is still going, which is called Hello. Mm-hmm. Why, uh, why did you work so hard? You didn't really need to. Because I you just need, like it? Because I, I just need to be busy and I, I i'm one of those people that has to be very you know my brain has to work mm. otherwise i don't know what will happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> Throw problems at me and i'll sort them yeah and and then um your next reality tv experience was dancing with the stars yeah who, who was on your that was the Susie cato season yeah Susie cato who else can, who else was on that can you remember um who yeah, won that david one? seymour oh yeah seymour yeah um amanda hates Oh, Samantha Hayes. Samantha. Oh, yeah, she won, right? She, she won. won. Yeah. Um, um, and you, you were, you were, oh, yeah, I had David Simmer on the podcast earlier this year. I loved him. We talked in depth about his Dance with the Stars experience and a bunch of other stuff. He's a good man. Yeah. So you, so you went on Dance with the Stars. What, why did you go on that? Did you think you might enjoy the experience? I thought it was a dancing competition and I'd never danced. And I was like, oh, it's a good fitness. But also it was for charity. And I'm, I like I did I didn't even get my money or my fee I gave that all to Starship, so I was like oh why not you know it's uh and then I went in there I was like oh it's too it's too much politics and I just hated it. Mm. Mm. Put too much politics in what way? Ah, uh, you know there, there was so much going on. I I just didn't like it, and I'm not a great dancer anyway, yeah. so, and I hate competition. So it wasn't just my cup of tea, you know. Yeah, on these shows, generally, no one wants to be the first voted off, but mm. you were relieved. You you were. I was. You know, <laughs> I was never going to win. Yeah, that's that's you know, and I was like, oh, you know, it, it's just going. It it dis it disrupts your life basically, and I had kids, and I didn't think that it, it would be as intense as it was. 
I wasn't any good at it anyway, you know. Mm. It wasn't like I had any chance. And it wasn't really about dancing. It was about popularity more. I mean, I don't think David was a great dancer either, but he lasted long. Or, you know, your friend um, from Rock Station. Uh, oh, Rog. Rog, Rog, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it wasn't like dancing, you know. Lots of people couldn't dance very well. And lots of good dancers kind of, you know, I saw for example, Naz got kicked off too early. She was a very good dancer. So it was more about, you know, how you know, once you go in there, you're like, oh, I, I see what it is. You know, how can I compete, for example, in reality with these people who've got such massive platforms mm. and people love them. There are these big time celebrities, you know, but without people, for example, like me, how are they going to? Have a shot. You have to have mm. some people that you sacrifice and then you get to your... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the sort of people that um, are invested in that show enough to vote um, are the people that would see Naz and go, no, I don't like her with her yeah. with her fake boobs. Don't like Gilda because she's a gold digger yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, sure. And that's why you're Not not real gonna... boobs, but she's gold digger. Have you had much work done? What do you, what do, you do? In terms of cosmetic surgery? No. But I, a Botox? No. Botox for sure, yes. Yeah. But I'm not a big, um, say, like, in saying that, like, in, in fact, it's a good subject to brought up. I've always had, like, big size breasts, and I hate breasts because you can't wear whatever. You always have to wear, like, kind of a low, otherwise you will look puffy. And I know your ex-wife went through this. Hey, JJ, she, she had a reduction. It was expensive, too, like 25 grand or something. Yeah, like so I'm actually looking at reduction. Oh, you should talk to JJ about it. She swears by it. Yeah. She loves it. No regrets about it yeah, at all. Yeah, I watched her on Instagram, day, uh, and I was like, she had, but um, you know, and I was like, oh, God, it leaves a scar. So I've always been scared of it. But after watching it, I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. And, you know, as you get older, it just becomes more inconvenient. So mm. I think that I'm going to have that procedure done. Yeah. Well, you should definitely talk to JJ about yeah. it. She's got no regrets about it at all. Yeah. Apparently, it's like whoever gets it, they're <laughs> like, why didn't I do it earlier? Mm. But, you know, in high school, you have boobs and you're always like hunching and it's just not a, you know, it's just not a thing. You, you're 50 now. What's, um, how's, the, how's, the, how's the rest of your life going to look? What's the plan? You're going to stay in New Zealand? Would you ever move back to Iran? Or is New Zealand home You now? know, anybody who knows me, they will tell you, I, I have never, ever had a plan in my life. I, I just, I don't envisage the future. <laughs> Uh, just whatever happens, I'll just go with the flow. I my brain hasn't been, um, I guess, uh, trained to think that way. Considering how volatile my life was as a child, mm. so it was day to day decisions. Never like a vision for you know future. Never knew who I wanted to be, what I wanted to be, what job, what subject. Uh, so no, I don't have any plan. Will I stay in New Zealand? I don't know. Will I go? I don't know. It depends on what happens, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I have no specific plan for anything. I just, at the moment, I'm um, um, kind of just wanting to have a stability for the kids with their schooling and stuff. Kanye, what is it? Where do you want to go? What is it? What are you doing? He's been sorry. He's been very restless today. Hey, well, this has been fun. That long tongue of yours. It is long, eh? Doesn't matter how how tightly you purse your lips shut, the tongue will find a way in. It is the narrowest tongue I've ever seen. He's a good judge of character, and he's always he's always liked you. I know. I have picture with him at radio station, him kissing me. Yeah. We were kissing. 
Love's kissing you. Love's kissing you. Oh, I love you, buddy. Anyway, thanks for coming over, Gilda, and being so generous with your stories and your experiences. Would you would you call yourself like a proud New Zealander now? Yeah. Yeah. I spend most of my time life here. So you're uh, Iranian. Is that how you say it? Iranian. Iranian and uh, Kiwi. Well, I was born in Iran. Yeah. And, and I'm a New Zealander. I have a New Zealand passport. So, you know, it's funny, you know, people, every every time we go out and I say, oh, so where are you from? Are you visiting? How long? Because of my accent. It's so very <laughs> strong. And it kind of makes you sound like a villain in a Bond movie. No, I think that, I think it's my stubborn character. Yeah, you know, yeah. I spoke English when I was young. So when I came here, I really spoke English. Um, As your second, second language? Yeah. yeah. So I... I've never changed my accent. My accent is still the same as it was when originally I arrived here. And um, I guess that says something about me, stubborn. I just don't listen. No, oh, my accent, no, I should speak like a Kiwi. Mm. Can oh. you though? What, what is it? How does it sound like when you try and do? I, I, I feel like when you were doing, um, it was almost like an impression earlier of James. Oh. You almost flipped into a into a voice. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> subconsciously, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, but I don't know. I I I don't think I can do Kiwi accent. If I do, it will be like one of those terrible like cliches that Americans would do. Or oh, like, you, know, like, you got to give it a go. Let's hear it. Like what? Just say something. Honestly, nothing comes to mind. I'm trying hard. We need to get some wines on you for that. Yeah, probably, probably. Uh, um, and um, yeah, you're the same age as me, fifty. Any regrets? Any regrets? Anything you'd change? Anything you'd do differently if you had your time over again? Mm, no. That's cool. I think that's probably a good place to end it. Thanks so much for coming oh, over today. Thanks, Nam. You're great, and you know I've known you for quite a long time, and you're just always so. You know, I, I like watch your Instagram and you're always racing and running in this marathon. <laughs> and I always like, and I'm like in my bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're like an energizer battery. And, you know, it, it, it's really nice because it gives um, uh, some sort of a good motivational energy and thoughts and, you know, to people like me who are not very active. Are you so, not, a, you're not very active? I, what do you I, do? I, I used to be like a freak. I used to go, to gym like five times a week. I've always done boxing or kickboxing. Uh, I still do four times a week, but my trainer at the moment, he's been away for five weeks. He went to US, he's just back. So Monday I'll start back again. But the way you do it, I'm not a cardio player. Like I can't mm. run to save my life. Or maybe it's because of my, you know. It's... Oh, you, you, you just touch your boobs then for the people that are listening to this. Yeah, you should look into getting a getting a reduction. When <laughs> when yeah, when JJ got hers done, they, um, they, they took out, the amount they took out was alarmingly small. It was like um, maybe 750 grams each boob. And she was like, you should take out more. And he's like, no, you don't want to look out of proportion. Mm. You want, and, But she she loves them. The, the job that this guy did was perfect. Apparently it makes life. So probably if you ask me after I do this, then I'll say, oh, why didn't I get a boob job earlier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Hey, well, Gilda, Gilda, oh, God, I'm doing it again. I'm getting all nervous. Gilda Kirkpatrick. <laughs> what, what was your name before marriage? Sadie. What is it? Sadie. Sadie. Right. How, how come you kept um, James's name? Because. Just why change it? Yeah. Yeah. Already yeah. stopping. You know, why, why shouldn't I? Yeah. You know, it's just, that's me. Yeah. Would you get married again, like your 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 baby daddy and your current partner? Uh, yeah. Are you guys just happy? We are happy. Yeah. I mean, why 
you know, kick a horse or what, what is that expression? I forgot. <laughs> that does seem like, I don't know if that's a saying, but it should be, why kick a horse? <laughs> Things are going well. <laughs> why rock the boat? Or something like that. <laughs> but don't, don't kick the horse either. All right, Gilda. Hey, um, I love you very much. And thank you so much for coming over today and being so generous with your, with your stories. Um, I got a lot out of it and I hope a lot of other people did too. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will listen to it and go to sleep very nicely <laughs> in the middle of it. But thanks for giving me the chance and um, great to see you again. Patrick on the Dom Harvey podcast. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. What do you What do you think? Always keen to hear your thoughts and opinions, good or bad. Genuinely, I'm, I mean this. You can reach me anytime you want. Dom Harvey NZ at gmail.com or on Instagram. Dom Harvey NZ. Um, well, yeah, one thing I really like about doing this podcast is um, getting to um, speak to people from different walks of lives, people that may have different experiences or different outlooks than what you have and trying to figure out what makes them tick. So, yeah, love to hear from you with any thoughts you have on that episode or any other episodes, guest suggestions, anything else. Hey, quick favour, if you haven't done so already, um, chances are you're listening to this podcast on Spotify or Apple. If it's on Spotify and you haven't done so already, could you you give the podcast a rating? Preferably five stars. Thank you. Um, And Apple, I know they um, allow reviews. So if you haven't left um, a rating or a review yet, um, please do so. That would be much appreciated. Just before we go, thank you very much to Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. Get amongst their incredible protein powder and smoothie recovery powders. You've heard me bang on about it. I'm obsessed with their banana-flavoured protein, but they now have an unflavoured protein powder in their range. So if it's not really your thing, you can mix it into various recipes and it won't taste any difference. But most most important thing, it'll give you the protein hit that you need. Most of us could do with more protein than what we're currently consuming, and protein powder is the best and most effective way to get it. And in my opinion, nobody does it as well as what Radix does. Check out them and their world-class products at radixnutrition.co.nz. That's spelled R-A-D-I-X. I almost guarantee once you try their products out and become a customer, you'll be a fan for life. I know that's what my personal experience was. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I genuinely appreciate it, and I hope to see you next week on the Dom Harvey Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.